written and directed by Wayne Anton Novelli. Music score by Picasso Zapanti. Comic book illustration for graphic novel. Created by the artist Wayne O'Drano. Produced by Wayne Anton Novelli, Sharon Harvey, and James Warhalla. With effects music by Weed Killer. In association with Vince Sabia and Socialitize Social Media Development Group Incorporated. Episode 4 Nick floats on his board and has revelations of his youth running around doing comedy with a crack addict ventriloquist who gets kneecapped by a drug lord while their mobster driver Zool gets the Tiger King treatment and appears on the Swamp People show as he ends up as bait and spills out of a gator's stomach. I'm still paddling along a coastline that at one time hundreds of years ago was probably the Jersey Shore a long time ago. This was the town of Point Pleasant. I only know that because I see a boardwalk up ahead with a roller coaster that has a sign that says, Welcome to Jenkinson's Pier. In my old life, when I was a younger man and going to film school, just right before I had to get a real job and become a hitman for my family, I wanted to be like the comedian Woody Allen. So I did stand-up for a little while, and I ran around with the dirty ventriloquist act, Otto and George. Kill yourself! George was the dummy. And Otto was a crack-addicted ventriloquist from Coney Island in Brooklyn. He came up the ranks in the comedy club called Pips in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, with a comedian named Dice Clay. And many times Otto told me stories how Dice became famous later on by stealing his dirty nursery rhymes, jokes from Otto that launched his career. So Dice became a star, and Otto became a junkie. So many a night on the road after a show, Otto would bust out the pipe and coke out his brain in the car on the ride home. At that point, me and his driver named Zool laughed out loud at him like jackals at an Egyptian dead enemy kebab celebration. As I laughed with Zool at Otto in those days, Otto's life was bleak, but like all great comedians whose lives were filled with pain, but the laughter still was always there and still resonates and reverberates through time and my soul through the centuries of my slumber. It still triggers thoughts now in me, not just about Otto, but also about Zool. Who else would I think about except East Coast comics and gangsters who are kind of one and the same as I float past my destroyed past? Zool always drove Otto. And Otto always insisted from his agent for young, up-and-coming, tough-guy-type comedians to drive him so he could feel them out, to see if he could lord over them, as he could see if they were worthy to open for him and be his pseudo-friend slash sidekick. In reality, 
I don't didn't have any friends. No real friends anyway. Just a dummy and a cracked pipe on his back. Otto looked at everyone in categories. You were either a minion comedian there to open up for him, which meant you were his driver and your ass belonged to him, or you were even lower on the food chain, namely a fan. There to admire him and get him things, like drugs or more comedy gigs. Even though Otto liked Zul's biker redneck loser of the people charm, little did he know, Zul wasn't really a comedian slash driver minion fake friend at all. He was just placed there to drive and watch out for him to protect the mobster Jersey club owner's interests. Like my Uncle Richie. All those bosses like my uncle knew Otto had a lot of talent, which means he was worth money. And my uncle and all those wise guys wanted a piece of the action and knew of Otto's coke problems and they were going to exploit them and protect their interests by keeping him hooked and keeping him working. One time a comedian driver lost Otto after a show in the shithole capital of Jersey called Camden and Otto wandered on his own into an alley to score some crack from a couple of black gangsters. While in the alley, Otto probably pissed the guys off by clowning and griping to them about the weight and price of the bears. And then Otto threatened them that he wasn't going to pay. Then he made the biggest mistake of his life on the street. He turned his back on the drug dealer. Then the hip-hop Camden gangster, in kind, returned the favor and ran Otto down with his overpriced stolen BMW leased gangster mobile and then dragged him a block or two, then ripped his knees almost off, and then they robbed him of all of his money. And finally, they left Otto and the dummy in a bag on his back. There busted up on the street, unconscious, battered, and bloodied, left there to bleed out and die. Otto, not the puppy. Otto being the hard surviving Coney Island comic Jew that he was, he somehow came to with drugged up retard strength. And he cockroached his way to a hospital and survived. Because I lived with him at the time, and I thought it was his friend, and not just one of his minions, I had taken Otto to my parents' summer home right off of Long Beach Island. And I took Otto and his wounded knees to their lagoon in their backyard to heal his rolling roaster roasted beef road rash knees in the healing salt water of their backyard lagoon. After Otto healed, he never saw that comedian who was his driver in the Camden fiasco again. Probably because of my Uncle Richie and his innate ability always to protect his investment. In this case, it was Otto. And the driver who was clipped was a nobody. Which meant in Jersey at the time, if you were a nobody on the street, you were invisible and it would be that much easier to make you disappear. Because Otto was one of the many small investments of my uncle, he wanted to make sure another coke mayor kneecapping would never happen again. So he put the redneck biker thug Zool in, one of his low-level street soldiers on Otto's case file, kind of like a mobbed-up Mike Bear, a fucked-up life coach, if you will. Not solely just there to open for Otto, but also there to make sure he wasn't beat up anymore and he would show up to the gigs on time. 
Because of all of Otto's crack debt, he was always paying off my uncle, and his ability to earn as a club comic made a small fortune of money from the gate alone, never mind Otto's coke bill that went into my uncle's war chest. So in between Zool and myself rescuing Otto from bad drug deals, Zool, like myself, had the privilege of opening for him. Kill yourself! Zool wasn't really a comedian, but he was a loud, Florida, redneck, bipolar, biker guy. So he had a funny delivery. I had children, we had a long-lived relationship, I fucked her, then I killed her. Even though his jokes weren't really written well, or cleverly, so Zool wasn't a good jokester, but he was a good mocker. He could have psychotically mocked with the best of the Brooklyn guys, and me. He would have been a verbal schoolyard champion in my old neighborhood. Zool was a drinker. And like most street guys, he loved selling drugs, not doing them, because that would cut into his profit margins. So every time he drove Otto home from a show, and Otto got blasted on coke or crack, Zool loved to mock the shit out of him, because he knew Otto was too high to be his regular quick self. His funny self. So he was defenseless, and Zool loved to prey on the defenseless. That was all part of the thug life ethos in those days. After Otto burnt out enough brain cells, and Zool started to mock him hard, I would have to break up the Sopranos moment with a useless old school unfunny joke. And I would ritualistically say to Otto, You're a really funny guy, but when you smoke that shit, I get confused. Out of the two of you, George is the puppet, but who is really the dummy? When I went and said that stupid joke, the color flushed out of Zool's face, and he was silent for a change. These are the thoughts that I scraped out of a damaged brain, left behind, just screaming to acknowledge thoughts of a life I didn't want to remember in the first place. So fragment surface, like shrapnel, he adjusted torment me with shards of thoughts of an adventurous life sent to me with glimpses of glory. And just when I start to enjoy these visions, then the thoughts turn dark and put my broken consciousness into a meat grinder. Like most street guys, Zul disappeared somewhere down the line. I heard the famous legendary stories of his death from one of my uncle's capos at an emergency confirmation one day. We always called the fake occasion that, because there was never really a confirmation, it was only another excuse to get out of our fake union jobs down on the New York and New Jersey docks. Just another reason to go to our hangout spot at our club, the Lugosi, in Draconia and Drink and Tell Mob Stories. Zool's end story went like this. It was said he pulled off a big drug shipment deal and buried the money somewhere in Florida. To celebrate his big windfall, he decided to go visit and go party in his old neighborhood of Seaside, New Jersey, on the boardwalk, right near his old house where his ex-wife had gotten the place in the divorce. It was one of his ex-wives, one of two, that he tied up and left them there 
in a closet for a couple of days because he went out drinking with his friends and forgot about them. And that's why they divorced his abusive ass. And now he was drunk again. Celebrating in Seaside again, where he used to live with his ex-wife Anna. So after he got blasted, he decided he was too drunk to blur drive past the Nazi cop state troopers out of town to his new place in Slayerville, New Jersey. So he walked a couple of blocks off the boardwalk to go visit his old house and ex-wife. Even though at the time she had a new boyfriend, Zul didn't care because he was a narcissistic, sociopathic, sexist pig. A real Dr. Phil show. So he didn't care about that. When he got to his old house that his ex then owned, and she had a restraining order against him to boot, well, when Zul got there, he noticed no one was home. So drunk and tired at that moment, and being the old school burglar that he was, he decided to use his universal gangster pass key and break in the back window. He got into the empty house, and out of old habits, he went right to the refrigerator, made a sandwich, drank a beer, and decided to turn on the game and take a drunken nap on the couch. He passed out cold and snoring. When moments later, his ex and her new boyfriend showed up after they unlocked the front door and saw him in horror. Sleeping there with his pants undone, with a bulging chubby, fatter than his disgusting bloated hairy gut that was hanging out as he was probably dreaming about pulling a four-way with an asbestos dildo, Tommy Lee, and Pamela Anderson on top of a dragon spitting fire. They're on the couch like he still owned the place. Then the mortified Anna, like all good Jersey Salt Life little drones at the time, saw Zool, and with his and her past history, namely the closet incident, well, she did what she thought was right and called the cops to come remove him. Thinking the cops would just show up, wake him up, and throw him in the drunk tank overnight to sleep it off, pay a fine for breaking and entering and violating the restraining order again, that's what all the Brady Bunch drones down there at the time thought was the way cops handled problems in their little quiet Jersey Shore children of the corny beach communities. Well, that's how I think it would have worked idealistically in most metropolitan cities in those days where they had to deal with real crime, like murder, on a daily basis in the city where this incident would be considered trivial comparatively, but not in Seaside, New Jersey, where it was a boardwalk beach community, which means there was a conflict of interest there, where on one side of the struggle, there are tons of jackass college kids drinking and puking all over the boardwalk and streets all summer. Then there were the regulars, who were born there on the island, and never left because they inherited their houses from their parents and their parents from their parents, which means there were a lot of rich people there. So in response to the most minute conflict, the redneck clam digger local cops will always overreact to any situation, and they did. Instead of using standard police procedures, 
and just going in there and waking up the narcissistic happy drunk, the sadistic clam digger cops decided to have a little fun and call a canine unit in and sick the dogs on the socially dim, slumbering drunk mobster. The killer shepherd zoomed in and daintily tried to nudge Zoom away by ripping into his limbs at the joints. At that point, Zoom was awakened to the terrifying thought that he went to sleep a selfish, unaware prince drowning in his self-absorbed heavy metal Conan sex fantasy tidal wave. And he was awakened to searing painful thoughts and inflicted actions that within minutes he was transformed into a human ripped and bloody German Shepherd Chew Toy. Trapped there for the dogs of war to rip his flesh from his bones while he was still lucid and screaming. So you knew it really hurt. The scene was more bloody than watching Quint being ripped in half by the mutant killer shark at the end of the movie Jaws. One tried to go for his neck for the kill shot. Zul just in time got his hand up to block the lethal jaws, trying to rip out his jugular. Instead, the dog treated his blocking wrist like it was a milk bone treat in a tortured humans commercial. Azul let out a high-pitched scream that would make Axel Rose proud. The other dog decided to inflict a little more long-lasting damage as he sank his fangs into the little tasty morsel known as Zul's right knee. As the two dogs were ripping Zul's knee and wrist to shreds, Zul writhed around on the floor, screaming bloody murder. Right at that moment, the beach cops decided with their great sadistic wisdom that the perforated perp, namely Zool, had enough fun for today. And they didn't want to be bothered by having to fill out a victim's accident death report. So they pulled the dogs off and they took Zool down to the station to book him. After that incident was over, even though everybody knew that Zool was a jackass, but even his ex-wife knew the cops overreacted. So Zul later sued them, and he had gotten a tidy little windfall settlement from the city that he added to his coke heist money. Now with his sizable booty buried in a strong box in his yard, like every good pirate, Zul realized he had enough money to take a white trash Jimmy Buffett retirement in Florida. Zul had taken his money and went to Florida to get away from Jersey thug life. And when he got to Tampa, he met an animal activist chick named Gina. And the two of them hooked up and invested in a zoo that housed mostly tigers. Like that guy with the Netflix show called The Tiger King. After Zul survived being mauled by the police dogs, he was in fear of large weaponized dogs for the rest of his short-lived life. He was so traumatized by the event, he was an easy mark for Gina, the so-called animal activist. Bankroll the tiger farm. Remember folks, most animal activists like animals, not people. Zul was so terrorized by dogs at this point in his life, just like the actress Tippi Hedren was fear-filled by having to do the phone boot scene when Hitchcock threw live gulls clawing at her face and tangling in her hair as she was trapped bleeding and screaming in a movie set, real old school phone booth. That's why both of them decided to live with giant cats, to protect them. In Zul's case, the dogs, 
and in Tippy's case, the birds. It seemed in the beginning of their marriage, Zul and Gina were happy. Very happy. She wrangled the tigers and became their best friend. As long as the money was there, she was Zul's best friend too. And he really never paid attention to her, except when he wanted a banger. And then he would go fishing and drinking with the good old boys in town. Zul was having a grand old time, maybe a little too grand. After only a few months, Zul lost a lot of his money through gambling debts, some bad business deals that went wrong, and his inability to money manage himself, never mind the zoo and the wife. In life, Zul was always an idiot, and now all the sins were coming to collect the bill. As he shat the money out of his ass, he started to drink heavily for mental pain, not just fun. And the marriage went bad, and Zul one night went back to his old ways, and came home drunk, got in a big fight with Gina, and beat her up. And to shut her up, he ball gagged her, tied her up, and put her in a closet for a while to show her who was boss. Well, unfortunately, with the help of a paperclip and one of the tigers, Gina got loose from the closet and one of the giant cats gnawed her restraining ropes off. Right after the incident was over and she was freed, mysteriously, Zul disappeared. The authorities didn't find his body for a couple of days and purely by accident, as usual. Ultimately, his body was found a few days later in the swamp behind the zoo. A film crew found him by accident while shooting a cable show called Swamp People. They found him while shooting an episode on the swamp next to their property where one of the guys on the show trap and shoot an alligator on camera. Then after filming, the local yokels cut up the gator to sell it for meat to local restaurants. After they gutted the gator's stomach open, Zool spilled out all over the dock. Just like Mayor Vaughn thought that little kitna boy was going to do in the movie Jaws. I know what you're saying. I'm using a lot of Jaws references in this story. Well, I don't give a fuck. Because Otto and I always loved the movie Jaws. We used to recite lines from it all the time. Kill yourself. That movie always reminded me of where I am now, but in better days, at Jenks Pier. The last time I was here in Jenkinson's in my last life, I opened up for Otto on a large stage for hundreds of people that we both made laugh. Oh, there's a guy with the ponytail with the gray hair. You look like a fucking dead teenager. Kill yourself. Shave that fucking hair. Get some money. Fucking hippie. What are you, Ben and Jerry, you cocksucker? I'll bang you. Get the Santa hat. All right, all right. I'm banging in the ass. I'll fucking yank that ponytail, make him sing Beatles songs. I'll fucking, all right. I'll bang you in the ass and let the other guy suck the load out with a crazy straw. Those were the last of the days that I was still young and had hope. They were the end of the days that I was still funny. Not like now, when I have to pay for the toll of my penance in my life to pay for my sins. I'm condemned to an existence of being a lonely drifter. As I ponder these thoughts of Otto and Jaws movies, I'm sculling around right now, 
through a place called Dead Mutant Sharks Bay. As I paddle through here, I think of two things. One, I wonder if I will survive another day. Two, I wonder what Steven Spielberg would do in this situation. I wonder if he could make a film out of this with no crew, weapons, cameras, or a budget. Well, that's it for this week's show, boys and girls. Stay tuned next week for the next installment of... Psycho Surfer of the Apocalypse. And now a word from our sponsors, brought to you by the new hit single, Intoxication, by the band Wayno Drano and the Dysfunctional Alkanauts. Let's play out with the song! <laughs> <laughs>